0: Well, we're going to get to today's teaching as we conclude the series before Calvary, where where we have been looking at these stories in the Old Testament, these stories of bloody sacrifice, where God has commanded his children to sacrifice blameless creatures. But we see that that sacrifice is the center of understanding who God is, his purposes, his plan, and his direction. But we've also said that truly to understand these stories in the Old Testament, you must have the perspective, you must look at it through the lens of the New Testament. The Old Testament will not make full sense without the story of Jesus. And likewise, the story of Jesus doesn't make full, complete sense without the stories of the Old Testament. We need both testaments to make sense of things. So this morning, we're once again going to turn to our final story in this trilogy, the story of the Day of Atonement. It's found in Leviticus chapter 16. This Day of Atonement, maybe you've heard it and maybe you recognize it and maybe not by its Hebrew name, Yom Kippur. Have you heard that name? It's the Jewish name for the Day of Atonement. Actually, that word, Yom Kippur, means day to atone. That's the literal meaning of Yom Kippur. Atone meaning to cover. This day was a day that God would cover the sins of Israel through these atoning sacrifices. It was by the means of these sacrifices that God would make pure and clean the children of Israel. This was the highest holy day of their year the highest holy day, and they were to keep it sacred from every other day. It was to be a day of fasting and no work. It was to be unto the Lord. Why was this day so important? And why does it continue to be so important in the lives of the Jewish people? We get that understanding by turning to Leviticus chapter 16, verse 30, where God says to Moses, for on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you you shall be clean before the Lord from all of your sins. And we see here two purposes. There's a twofold purpose for this holiday. The first one you can see is that it is to cleanse you from your sins. This day is the day that God, through these sacrifices, would purify, cleanse all of the nation of Israel. They would experience cleansing from God. But the second reason it's so important, and it's just as equally important and often missed, are these three words, before the Lord. See, these three words separate the God of the Bible and Christianity and the Bible from all other religions. It makes this dramatic break. In other religions, there are sacrifices to gods, but solely for the purpose of appeasing this God. The God of the Bible requires cleansing for the purpose of relationship. He wants to be with his people. So he institutes this day of atonement so that he may cleanse the children of their sins so that he could be with them. It was for the purpose of God dwelling amongst his people. And so to give us some more context before we get to Leviticus 16, God sends them from Mount Sinai. He rescues them from Egypt gives them his law on Mount Sinai, sends them to the promised land. And as he does, he gives them instructions for building this tabernacle, this sort of portable church building where God promises to dwell and be with his people. This verse from Exodus 40 gives us that picture. It says, so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. I love this picture because this picture gives us a true picture, I believe, of the power and the goodness of God. The power of God in this mighty pillar of fire, evident to everyone, but also in this mighty pillar of fire, you see the goodness of God because it lights the camp and provides light for the children. It is also a visible sign to them that God is with them. And it's also a visible sign to Israel's enemies that the God who destroyed Egypt resides in this camp. In the tabernacle, we see the power of God and the goodness of God. In Leviticus chapter 10, and before God gives the children of Israel, he gives Moses specific instructions on how this tabernacle is to be built very specific instructions, and they were to follow them to the letter of the law. God also set apart for himself the tribe of Levi. And from that tribe, he would select priests to serve in this tabernacle and to serve his people. And he selected Aaron, Moses' brother, and Aaron's four sons to serve as priests in this tabernacle. Aaron, he chose to be the high priest. And we're told in Leviticus 10 that on one of these days, two of Aaron's sons disregarded the instructions that God had given Moses. And they ventured into the tabernacle where they were not allowed to go. And they did so cavalierly, disrespectfully, full of pride, because they had been selected by God. And we're told that they brought fire from outside the tabernacle, something they shouldn't have done, and started into the most holy place and we're told that fire comes from the most holy place and consumes them, and they die. C.S. Lewis captures what's going on here, I believe, in his story in the Chronicles of, Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the children, for the first time, find out that Aslan is a lion. And young Lucy says to Mr. Beaver, she says, is he quite safe? You know, I shall be rather nervous to meet a lion. And Mr. Beaver looks at her and goes, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See what Nadab and Abi, who Aaron's two sons missed, they thought God had been tamed. God is not a tame God. He is the most powerful being. And he is residing in their midst. We must not forget that God is all-powerful, but we also need to be reminded that he is good beyond measure. It is good that we are reminded of these things. So now we turn with that context to verse 1 in chapter 16. We read that the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to enter and come in whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. See, it was only the high priest that could enter the most holy place Only Aaron, and only on this day of atonement. No other day was he allowed to go into the most holy place, and certainly no one else was allowed to come near. In fact, when Aaron was serving in the tabernacle that day, we're told that no one else is to enter anywhere close. But also we're told that this is how the ritual begins. In verse 3, we see that Aaron, in order to enter the most holy place, must do some very specific things. He needs to bathe himself and make himself clean physically. And then he is to put on these sacred garments, white linen, tunic, underwear, white, a white sash around his waist, and a white, what is that called, turban, on his head. Then he's to select three animals, two goats and a young bull, and he's to sacrifice the young bull for his sins before the Lord, to atone for the sins of himself and for his family before he can enter the most holy place. He has to sacrifice this young bull while wearing white. The rule in our house is you don't wear white when you eat spaghetti and meatballs. (laughs) Can you imagine what he must have looked like after this sacrifice? He had to have been just a bloody mess. I want you to keep that picture in your mind for a little bit later. Next, we're told he turns to the goats and he's called to cast lots for these two goats. Casting lots in this time would have been sort of like rolling die, something that he can't control. We read also that he might have reached into a bag full of two-colored stones and to pull a stone out. And they believed that God would make the selection on which goat would be sacrificed to the altar and which goat would be sent away. And so he would cast lots for these two goats. And the lot that fell to the Lord, he would take that goat and he would sacrifice that goat And he would take the blood of that goat and he would place it and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant. And he would sprinkle it all over the tabernacle to atone for the sins of the people and of the nation of Israel. For the whole nation, he would make atonement to God. For himself with the bull, the goat for the people. Make the people acceptable in God's eyes. Which then brings us to this second goat, the scapegoat. We read in Leviticus 10, the one that is to be sent away, but the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by the sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Literally, the priest is to lay his hands, both hands on the head of the goat and aloud he is to confess the sins of the nation. Now this is not just Symbolic. This is a ritual. It transfers the sins of the nation onto the head of the goat, just as though the goat that was sacrificed for the people is a representative of the people before God. This goat is the representative of the sin of the nation that is sent away into the wilderness. Literally, God is making a way to dwell with his people. Now some interesting things here, we see this word scapegoat. Maybe in some of your Bibles, if you're looking at it like an ESV translation, you see the word azazel. Azazel is Hebrew for scapegoat. It's the same word. But to understand what that word means, look in the Hebrew. Azazel is literally the goat that takes away. So we see here in this story, the scapegoat is the goat that takes away the sins of the nation. You start to get to see where this is pointing? Let's move 1,300 years later from this story into the future. 1,300 years later to a year, say, 30 A.D. The day is Sunday, a day we now call Palm Sunday. And Jesus is riding on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem. And the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they are ecstatic. Because their Messiah is here. And he will lead their people in a rebellion against Rome. And they will be God's favored nation on earth. And they missed what God was saying. God was saying, lots have been cast and the lot has fallen to him he is the one to whom you will whom you will sacrifice unto me for your sins he is the scapegoat he is the sacrifice see they missed it so focused on their plans they missed it But let me tell you, it's only because I believe we have both testaments and the testimony of the Holy Spirit that you and I see it today. We see what they missed because of what God has shown us. But now let's fast forward five more days to Friday of that week. Jesus has been arrested. He's been arrested and he's been charged with a capital crime blasphemy. He's declared himself God. And so they've taken Jesus to the Roman authority there in Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate, to be tried and to be crucified. Pilate questions Jesus about who he is. And he brings Jesus then out in front of the people along with a criminal named Barabbas. And he says to the people, it is your custom for me To release to you a prisoner on Passover. Shall I release the king of the Jews? And they look at him and they shout, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Pilate sends Jesus off to be flogged. And later he brings Jesus back out in front of the people, having been flogged and beaten. And a crown of thorns pushed down upon his head, blood pouring from his head and from his body. And he looks to the people once again, and he says to them, Here, Israel, here is your king of the Jews. And they shout back at him, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. You get the picture? Literally, they're yelling, Azazel, Azazel, take him away. See, lots had been cast. The scapegoat had been chosen, not by the people, but by God. As the one who would carry away the sin's of the people. It was Jesus. He is the true sacrifice. He alone is the true scapegoat. But he's also the priest. He is the one who will make sacrifice for the people. But you'll notice there's no bull in the story. The bull was sacrificed for the sins of the priest. This priest has no sin. He is the sacrifice. It is by his blood that we are made clean. That is why the writer of Hebrews says this about him. He says, day after day, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again offers the same sacrifices which, we can never, which can never take away sin. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has, been made, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy." Jesus is the true sacrifice. He's the true scapegoat. And he is the true priest who was sacrificed and died a bloody, horrific death on a wooden cross to cleanse us from our sins so that God could dwell with us. He's done that for you and I. And that whole week long, They missed what God was saying. But God in his goodness did not stop trying to get their attention. We're told in the Jewish scriptures, in the Talmud of the Jewish scriptures, a commentary on the Torah about this ceremony, this Day of Atonement ceremony, we're told that during this ceremony of casting lots for the scapegoat, that they would cast lots and they would send the scapegoat away. And it became their practice that they would take a red piece of crimson wool and they would tie it to the doorframe of the entrance to the temple. And as they sent the goat away with the sins of Israel upon its head, we're told in the Talmud that that piece of linen, red crimson cloth, turned white. And the people would rejoice because it meant that God had cleansed them of their sins and that God would be dwelling with them. But we're also told the people got so fixed on the sign that they forgot what the whole day was about so that the rabbis, they would take another piece of cloth and they would take this red cloth and they would tie it around the horns of the goat that was sent away so that the people could not fix on the cord, on the red cloth, They would be told at the conclusion of the Day of Atonement what had happened. You see, but that's not the end of the story in the Talmud. We're told. We're told that forty years before the temple was destroyed, the second temple was destroyed, the second temple was destroyed in 70 AD. We're told 40 years before the temple was destroyed, that crimson cloth. Stop turning white, but would only turn a deeper shade of red. Forty years before the temple was destroyed is 30 AD, the year that Jesus Christ was crucified. The crimson cloth stops turning white and only goes to a deeper shade of red. You think God was trying to tell them something? Do you think God is trying to tell you and I something this morning? I believe he's trying to tell us that Jesus is the true scapegoat, the true sacrifice, the true priest who takes away the sins, that there has been one sacrifice for sin, and only one that takes away the sin of the world. And it was the one that God chose. It was Jesus Christ who atoned for the sins of the world once for all time. And he's telling us quite clearly, I believe, that while sin cannot dwell in the presence of God, sinners can. And while impurity is not welcome in God's presence, the impure are because of Jesus Christ, because of what he has done. That's why the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, Therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, in light of what Jesus has done, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is the body, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that brings faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Telling us all of this was done for the purpose so that he could be with us. By the blood of the Lamb, we have been washed clean. We read that 40 years before the second temple was destroyed, God made a once for all sacrifice scapegoat, and priest out of Jesus, the priest who would come and give his blood, his life, for the sins of the world, once for all time. Because the blood and bull of goats never takes away sin. It is only by the blood of the Lamb that we are made clean. Isaiah the prophet, some 700 years before Jesus' time, said these words about his condition and our condition and the need for a savior. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Everyone is in need of cleansing from Jesus. I have a question for you today. Have you grown weary and tired? Trying to cover or conceal your sins before God and others? Are you exhausted trying to atone for your past? Has the burden become so heavy that you don't feel like you can take another step? It's time it is time to stop rejecting the free gift of grace that God offers you and to experience the yoke he has for your life. His promise is that it is light because Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. But he also promises you to find rest for your souls. That promise is for everyone here today. For those that believe in Jesus, who stand cleansed before him, he says to you this morning, Come. Come and celebrate this meal. Come and experience forgiveness anew this morning. Come, confess your sins before God, confess your sins before one another. Not to earn your forgiveness, but to experience the forgiveness that you have already in Jesus Christ. And for those of you that are struggling to believe in Him, Jesus is saying to each of you this morning come. Come and receive the gift of God's grace in this meal for you. God's sacrifice was for everyone. Jesus says to you this morning, come and be healed. Come and receive God's grace. Wall, he says, come. Would you pray with me?